Wow, Logan, what an incredible trip that was. One of the best Idaho trips I think we've done, and we've done some, some pretty incredible ones. We've done some incredible Idaho trips. I think the Middle Fork of the Salmon is just a it's just a an amazing place in general. Uh, you know, it's the Salmon River is the longest free flowing river in the continental United States. A lot of people don't know that. It's right in the state of Idaho. I I do have to preface this, is that Idaho is a shitty state and nobody should move there. Ever. Don't ever go to Idaho. Don't go there. The only thing they do there is they grow potatoes. That's it. And you don't want to go there. But if we can talk about this other place that's not in Idaho for a minute... (laughs) (laughs) That's not the best kept secret in yeah. the continental 48. Yeah. So let's talk about California because well, this is where we were. <laughs> <laughs> you know, go to California because that's where we were. Yeah, that's that's where that we did all spot. this amazing fly fishing. Yep. That's where we we did this amazing woods escape. California. <laughs> California full of just, you know down-to-earth people, rural, you know, labor industry folks, you know, San Francisco. This where we went, <laughs> where we went was downtown San Francisco. If you're looking for this type of an adventure, that's where you need to go. That's where you need to move. Yeah. Well, and, and we're saying this because um, I'm, I'm a little concerned that there might be some threats coming our way from, you know, residents yeah, of exactly. a certain state. Um, if there is too much information passed. And when I posted all my stories to to Instagram, I, I made sure to preface everything I was posting. It's like, hey, not gonna tell you where this is. Yeah. I don't I don't wanna um delve in my toe into that mm. pool uh because uh the people of the great state they hold the hold the cards pretty close to their chest. Yeah, and I think that's the important piece, which is those people are not nice. Uh <laughs> And the terrain is stupid. So don't go there. Just don't go there. Right? Don't go. Yep. Don't go. Don't go. Now that we've got that out of the way, <laughs> Logan and I went to Idaho on this uh, <laughs> fishing trip. Uh, now for these, the people out there that don't know, that's that's where I grew up. And yeah, I grew up in uh, Weipe and then Lewiston, which is on the confluence of two rivers, which is uh, the Clearwater and the Snake River, eventually flows into the Columbia and that, that heads on out to the ocean. Okay, rivers are in my DNA. I start getting super, super fucking cranky every year, right around springtime. If you don't get that river time in. Yeah, I do. I get really cranky. I remember my wife and I, after we got married she was uh i was getting ready to go out on a trip and uh i was going to do like three or four back to back to back and my wife was like i just don't quite understand why you need to do like three or four trips right back to back to back and this is when i was still working out there yeah. and uh i came home and my next year she was like it's a long time to be away and i was like hey listen you, if you get in the way of the river, the river 
actually gets its way. <laughs> if that makes if that makes sense. You get in the way of the river, the river gets its way. And she was like, "Okay, got it." And we really haven't had a uh, argument over it since. But I start getting really spicy, like right around yeah. June. If I don't hit the river and get in physically immersed in the river, it's a problem. Because I did it a few years with this company, you know, running the company, running and gunning, man, trying to you know do the best that we can. You you know, I mean, asses and elbows this entire six years, and I did it for a couple of years where I didn't get out there. By July. I'm a flaming asshole, like just a flaming asshole. If I don't have a trip to the river scheduled, I'm I'm a super angry guy. I'm a really angry guy. And I didn't notice it until later. And it's like, it's a release valve. It is. Get out there. Everything's fine. It's a chance to just go, go home. And I think that's the way the mountains make me feel in general, just all the way around high mountain, craggy, cold, you know, little frost in the morning places. They just, they make me feel human and reconnected again. I've been accused of uh, being kind of a hippie in some ways. And I, I personally think that it's like, I think you're a third hippie. If I had to put it to numbers, I'd say you're about a third hippie. A third hippie, yeah. yeah you're yeah. not a third hippie. Yeah, I wear a pair of Birkenstocks every now and again. <laughs> I listen yeah. to the dead. Yeah. Raise you your know? own chickens. I listen to the dead. I wear some Birkenstocks, <laughs> but you know, I'm I'm a pretty hardcore less government guy, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> give me the opportunity to sign up to kill some commies again, I would do it in a heartbeat. So it's kind of one of those things, right? It's, it's, if you like freedom and that's the whole premise of free range American, if you like freedom and if you're like us, like to do really epic shit in amazing places, man, I I think you're going to find a good tribe here. You know, I think you are. Yeah. And this is now the, the third different type of trip that we've done together in Idaho. Uh, yeah. you know, we've done the rafting yep. down the middle fork of the salmon. And then we did the jet boat trip with yep. Rusty. Uh, but this was really the first time we were like, ah, eh, we're going here to fish. Yep. Like this is, this is primary goal for this. Um, and, and kind of the whole journey along the way of, you know, getting to our final destination was, was really fun to be a part of that process anyway. And, if you're listening to this, you mean the drive, the drive was fun. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was, right, it cool. was, it was for me. And I'll tell you why. But, but first, uh, if you're listening to this on the podcast app, we are going to do a special uh, video companion episode on our YouTube channel. So right. we got a t- bunch of great footage and that was one of the the big reasons on top of needing to go get some river time in and, and do some fishing was we needed to capture some visuals for free range American that, that really defined the brand and, and, and what we're trying to do with it. So if you've got a chance, uh, shoot over to YouTube and watch this episode on YouTube. But before you were talking about how you, you like to get fully entrenched in the river. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was one of the first things we did when we kind of like you go in, when you go into Idaho from the South, like you, you got to, enter for a while before you get to like what I really consider like mountainous mm-hmm. woodsy yeah, Idaho. 
And you blessed us with being able to witness one of your <laughs> traditions uh, that you do every year or every trip when you make it to a certain point. And would you like to tell the audience uh, what that is and, and how that came to be? Yeah, I like to baptize myself in the in the Idaho River as I cross. You know, you cross the border, whichever one it is. And if so, if I'm coming in from the east, it's typically from Missoula to Coeur d'Alene. Uh, there's some pretty epic waterways up there. If I'm coming in from the west, then it's typically going to be from the Clarkson to Lewiston side. Uh, and then, of course, there's a confluence right there. And then from the south, it's typically from Boise up through McCall. That, that's yep. roughly... And I have these spots already that, that are that are pre-existing waypoints, for a lack of a better term. Yeah. And uh, I get naked and I get in the river. And I've been doing it for years. Uh, so back in the day, you know going back and forth from either Iraq or Afghanistan. I think it started actually Iraq. It started the first combat deployment that I had was the invasion of Iraq. And I, I, I baptized myself coming back into Idaho. Uh, a lot of people are like, well, you love Idaho so much. Why don't you live there? I'm like, ah, I tell people this all the time where I'm like, I left Idaho 20 plus years ago and I've been spending... 20 plus years trying to get back there. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I just, I, I've been doing this process for 20 years now. And, you know, there are years that I don't do it. There are years I don't, I don't make it, but I'm pretty committed to it, you know, rain or shine, regardless of the people that I have been, I've done it. Yeah. Yeah. My daughter thinks it's fucking crazy. Like my six-year-old daughter is like, what are you doing? And and a lot of times I'll go in and come out. Like, so as I'm leaving, I'll do the same thing. Uh, we were pressed for time. So I was, I was just hitting it, just getting out. Yeah. So you got, got your quick dip in. Yeah. And then um, we had the pleasure of going to one of the most remarkable meat processing facilities. Facility. Mm-hmm term used loosely uh, that that I can remember finding in in a long time. You don't find these anymore in America. So as you're, I I know there are a ton of them out there, right? So Mm -hmm. I know you find them, but there are so few and far between. And the, this place is owned by uh, the Walters family in Riggins, Idaho. My, they've been friends of ours forever. And, um, They've got a little uh, meat uh, store, I guess you could call yeah, it. Yeah, it's a, a meat store. Meat store. It's a know? nice little meat store. Yeah. So they they process wild game. Uh, they have an elk ranch out there, and you can buy buffalo or elk from them. Um, I stop there and grab jerky every time I'm in Riggins. We bought. I think our body weight in meat. Yeah. Yeah. Which was super fun for me because we stop there. We get loaded up with our meats, you know, not the first time old Logan's been loaded up with meat. Not even close. And uh, we, we grab a bunch of jerky. We talk to Kenny, this 
good old boy. He's probably 70 years old. He's like seven feet tall, yep. climbing down out of his tractor. His dog's running around barking and, and, uh, you know, we're talking to everybody, just kind of catching up and jumping into the trucks and head north. And was I kidding? Is that like the best, the best jerky or some of the best jerky you've ever eaten? Yeah, it, it really is. And the summer sausage, like we had this, <laughs> we had this habanero, habanero yeah. mango summer sausage. And amazing. It was a little fiery, but man. Amazing. I can eat one of those up. every single day. For the rest of my life, I'm gonna elk elk brats, elk summer sausage, elk jerky, bison sausages, that elk breakfast sausage. Amazing. We didn't buy enough of that. We did not. I don't know if you can have enough of that. I think if I, I think I should send them my elk and process <laughs> there yeah. when we kill it. Yeah, and because you you. What was it? Habanero Magna? Was it? No, it's cheese habanero. They had some cheese in there, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And the jerky, when you have, a, so you have to go to, the only reason I don't know this is I know the names of the family. They sell Black Rifle Coffee there, but it's Mountain View Specialty Meats. You got to check them out. This isn't like a paid ad for these no, guys. Like, no, this, these guys are just awesome people. <laughs> like, we we don't do paid ads here. So let me tell you guys about the Black Rifle Coffee subscription. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We don't do paid ads except for for the company Black Rifle Coffee. Thank you, everybody. Uh, no, so we stop there. We grab some jerky. We jump in the trucks, head north to Lewiston, where I grew up. And uh, we were doing a uh, retirement for one of my friends, our friends, actually. He trained both of our dogs. Trained both of our bird dogs. Yep. Uh, incredible human. 37 years, right? 37 years 37 in law years in law enforcement. Um, finished with the Idaho State Police. Yep. In uh, a phenomenal human. And that was just, you know, we go to a re- retirement party. Obviously, right. there was a ton of law enforcement there. And... You know, it it was really interesting to get those guys' take on on everything that is going on right now because yeah. we really haven't had a chance to just sit down with with a bunch of police and just kind of talk through stuff. And uh, you know, it was it was really interesting to hear their take and and hear some of the stories that came about as right. a result of you know what's been going on. And it's it was a it was a it was a new fresh perspective that you know I was happy to hear from those guys who have, you know, busted their ass for, for 20 years up in Idaho. Yeah. For a long time, I've had that conversation at the launch in to some weird, you know, semi-political conversation, but for a long time, I've been having this conversation. I remember I was actually fly fishing with a group of friends up in the North Fork and uh, one of my friend's wives said something about um well you know cops they they you know they they don't even have college educations i was like um my my good friend went to west point i don't know what college did you go to (laughs) you know what i mean yeah and it it, people just i don't even know if they have a, a, a police don't have proper representation i think at times because 
when you do run into a police officer, typically it's because you've broken a law, right? And I've thought about that a lot because I have had friends both in fire department, law enforcement, both. And firefighters are always showing up to save you, right? So they have a great image. But a police officer pulls you over because you're doing five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twenty miles an hour over, or you know, or you've done something else. You know, you've been belligerent in a bar, especially you. Um, you know, something like that. So they don't have a direct and positive representation for every one of their interactions. Most of the time, it's negative, and I think that's <clears throat> I think that's misrepresentative of the actual human beings behind the badge, right? <clears throat> and well, I know it is, right? Because it's yeah. not. It's, they're they're just they're not all dickheads. <laughs> no, Ed not. was telling me. He he said something like he hadn't written a ticket his entire career at Idaho State <laughs> Police. He's like, I'm a failure. Yeah, but through the course of his career, you know, he did have to, you know, make entry on a on a building that was being occupied by someone who was, you know, actively shooting at police. So it's not like just because it's a Idaho State, like it's not boring, like, and there's not no. easy decisions for those guys either. No, I mean, and even the law enforcement or the wildlife law enforcement that they they do investigations out in you know the national forests. I you know out of all the years I've been fishing and hunting in the backcountry, I can't think of one negative interaction I've had with a law enforcement a, like a fishing game person or you know a for with, with what they used to call them. Um, Pine Pine Cops, the Forest Service 1811s, which are the special the <laughs> special agents. And uh I, I I most of the time when you find like they're checking your IDs and stuff like that and making sure that you have a fishing license, like I don't I don't fish without a license. I don't hunt without a license. I always carry my license typically with me, and if not, it's in the truck. I've never had one negative interaction, even when I've not had it on me and you're supposed to have it on you at all times. Right. right. Like typically it's like, Oh, is it in your truck? Yeah. I mean, half the time I've been stopped by fishing game, not stopped, but they'll come down and talk to you while yeah. you're fishing and they'll just shoot the shit with you. I've been on the middle fork and they'll just shoot the shit with you. They don't even ask if you have your fishing license and it's like, shoot the shit, caught any fish. You guys have a license. Yeah. Okay, great. See you later. Uh, that they're probably not supposed to do that. They're probably supposed to ask, <laughs> right? Every time they interact. Yeah. But, you know, out of all the engagement, I was, I was, I was reading a statistic the other night. It was like 20 plus million distress calls. 20 plus In the US million, and, uh... yeah, responses throughout the year. And that many interactions, that's... Uh, it's almost a, stress calls or it's almost ten percent of the country that's wow coming in in call volume in a year. So anyway, we're not you know a lack of going down a rabbit hole against this, but it's um, we had a great time. You know, it's great to see everybody. Uh, great to see Ed. Great to see Kay's wife and their family, and uh, you know just 
show up, you know, show yeah. up and say hi. Yeah. Ran into the, some guys on the golf course from Fed, Federal Ammunition and Black Rifle Coffee serves coffee in the Federal Ammunition factories. Which, Who's in Lewiston? Yeah. I know. The CCI well. Spear. And uh, it's funny because... I just like came walking up to their table and they, Hey, what's up fellas? What are you guys doing? And I hadn't seen them since we did the 75th federal anniversary there in Lewiston last year. But that was a huge win for us. Like it made, made me feel really good when we can supply coffee to people that are making ammunition. One, it powers our recreation. So fantastic for us, right? It's like, man, we we get a great relationship with Federal Ammunition. The factories are my hometown. Uh, win, win, win all the way around. We call them. We're like, hey, can we get an extra, you know, few couple rounds here? And then pretty soon we hear the dump truck pulling up and, you know, beep, beep. Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> so we definitely, it doesn't go underappreciated. It's a, it's a great relationship to have with those guys at, in... We know we're very privileged, by the way, to have that relationship. It doesn't go, you know, unrecognized the fact that we're in a very unique position to have this great relationship where, you know, we get to supply them coffee and they give us a few rounds a year. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's cool establishing a relationship with a company who's, you know, in, in your hometown, you know? Yeah. So that's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. And, and, uh, and they're all good people all the way around. Um, you know, we went out to their factory uh, the main factory, we've been to Lewiston multiple times. You know, they employ several thousand people uh, and, you know, give people great jobs. Uh, you know, this isn't a paid advertisement for federal, but it's it's a great company. It really is. And it's been really good being able to get to know those guys and, you know, build a relationship with them. And if you're part of the coffee club too, you also get a discount through federal. So that's just my, my two cents, which is if you're not part of the coffee club, you should join because you get a bunch of discounts with other companies. And when I started the coffee club, the intention was to have your coffee pay for your recreation or your passions. I kind of wanted both things, which is I was shooting a lot then. I was like, that would be cool if we could get discounts on ammo by just joining a coffee club. Yeah. Well, did it. So if you shoot a lot, join the coffee club, get a discount through federal ammunition. Fantastic, right? Awesome deal. So after we did a, we did a brief stint in, in Lewiston there, we continued to head north and we get more and more remote. The towns get a yeah. little bit smaller and smaller and there's, there's a cool little... Uh, Coffee shop, Caliber Coffee. Yeah. Up in um what what town is that? Orofino. Orofino. Yeah. And uh it was good to get be able to touch yeah. base with those those guys. And uh, you know, I was it was interesting because we stopped into that uh, you know, kind of the off-road dealership there mm-hmm. and we were looking for some stuff before we were, you know, out of cell service and away from everything for a while. And one of the guys we walked past had a had an old handmade black rifle coffee mug and yeah. we got starting to chat with him. He's like, business has been booming. Like yeah. the economy has been good for these people in rural Idaho because throughout this time, so many people have picked up, gotten an RV, 
either bought one or are renting one. And so the local economy is doing well there. And then everybody's buying off-road vehicles, side-by-sides, dirt bikes. Like He was like, we can't keep anything in stock right now. Like This has been one of our busiest times we've ever had just because so many people are looking to escape from, you know, this, this lockdown right now. Yeah. And, and what a great thing to do. I shoot, you know, you and I being able to jump up there and do that, uh, you know, being able to do that type of recreation, whether it's in Texas or anywhere from Texas all the way up, uh, you know, the people that are thinking about doing some type of recreation and getting out, getting away from people, man, do it. Like, like stop making the excuses. Stop, you know, telling yourself you can't do it. Just throw your shit in the back of your car, your truck or whatever it is. And, you know, I've loaded my kids up and, you know, just kind of said, screw it. Let's get up there and we'll figure it out. Right. So did I nail the packing list? No, but you kind of got to get your reps in and eventually you'll figure it out. But what a what a great place to get outside. And really, there was not a lot of people. I thought there would be more people. There really wasn't a lot of people. So super impressed with one, business was booming all the way around, which I thought I was really hoping that it would be. Uh, you know, ammo manufacturers can't keep up with their ammo. Surprise, surprise. Right? Surprise, surprise. Uh, and the the recreation industry is booming now. Outside of that, I'm not exactly sure, but you know, there's a lot of people that are that are breathing a big sigh of relief, being able to pay their mortgages because of what's happening right now with you know isolation. Um, and the other thing that I was surprised was they were talking about the real estate market was just yeah on fire from all those you know rural properties are being sold. Um, which I think is really interesting because I didn't expect that. I thought, you know, with a dip in the economy, um, people would be keeping their cash, you know, maintaining yep. their savings, yep. keeping their cash. But it looks like a lot of people have been because of this, which, you know, I'd, I'd thought about it a little bit and it makes sense, which is they're saying, screw the city. I've got to get. I've got to get somewhere a little bit more remote, have a little bit more distance from people. And, you know, now with, with this whole thing being a complete fucking train wreck, now's my excuse to make it happen. You know, all it is, is, you know, eliminating some of the statistical probabilities of threat. Yeah. Yep. You got less things to worry about when there's less human elements involved in it. Right. Well, yeah. And and it's talking to, like we stopped at a couple of pharmacies because I needed nicotine gum. And um, they were talking about how they haven't even seen one COVID case in some of these entire counties. These counties encompass a bunch of small towns. They haven't seen one COVID right. case. Right. Yeah. I remember uh, the Caliber Coffee employees yeah. bringing that up too. Like they had kind of heard of one right. or there was like a test done, but largely COVID has not impacted those more rural areas. Yeah, and thank God. I mean, I know that it's been hit like the, a lot of the 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 Native American reservations have been hit really yep. hard, uh, and I know that some of the rural communities have, but where we were hasn't been hit. You know, neither you or I or you have are showing any signs or symptoms because you know we obviously wouldn't have went up there if we did. But uh, 
we don't really need, you and I don't really need an excuse to get out and make content in the outdoors. Or yeah. I think we're always kind of looking for some, some excuses to get out there and yeah. do it. Yeah. Uh, but once we got up there and we hit it hard, we hit it hard for a couple of days. We did get delve into kind of your history a little bit, but both you and like your overall family's history, because the, you, your side of the family, they go back generations into, oh, yeah. this, into this one area of the state. Yeah. So, you know, where, where I grew up, there was, and that was in, um, Clearwater County in, uh, you know, the panhandle section of, of Idaho and a really small logging town. So both family, my mother's side and my daughter and my father's side, they were both logging families. My mother's side was more pervasive, aunts and uncles, and everybody kind of lived around there. My father's side was just essentially my grandparents and uh, his his family members, um, meaning his brothers and sisters. But you know, everybody grew up logging, everybody grew up hunting, everybody grew up fishing. My grandfather's both worked on that river, uh, so I've heard stories about this river, the North Fork, since uh, I was a kid. My uncle. Uh, my great uncle was probably one of the most prolific cougar hunters, hound hunters in the country at one point, uh, you know, up till 80 plus years old, the guy was hunting cougars with hounds. He'd had multiple strokes. He could barely talk and he was still running dogs up in the mountains, (laughs) you know, scared the shit out of me when I was driving with him in his truck. And, you know, my dad, I remember being out there with him and his logging truck, you know, going out to a lot of the different, um, job sites, essentially, you know, logging operations. So just corkscrewing around in the mud, you know, in your logging truck, you know, those are the things that stick with you. Those are memories because it's like the snow and the mud and, you know, the pitched cliffs. I, I, I used to always remember that his truck was just like looking over the edge of the, the the window and just straight down a mountain and she's like <laughs> fuck and I just remember so well like when he was sliding around and just really trying to get a, a a big load of logs out of the mountains in the mud with like hooking hooking chains on and and grinding his way around on these fucking cliffs and you know, as a kid that that stuff stays with you yeah. right it's, yeah. it stays with you and you just don't forget it. And then we would hunt up there too. So we would hunt same kind of area. So we'd elk hunt, deer hunt. Um, and then we would fish. My grandfather loved to fish and I would spend at least a couple weeks every summer with him on the North Fork of the, of the Clearwater, just, you know, beating around in his little, in his little camper going from fishing hole to fishing hole and, and, you know, he taught me how to fish. We used to fish with uh, casting bubbles and flies, mainly lures every now and again. And, you know, the other things that I remember is is going to black powder rendezvous and, you know, growing up shooting black powder and dressing up in like capotes, going to these like really cool places for kids because you're throwing like tomahawks and knives and building fires and going out on what's called trail walks where you're shooting these different targets. Out yeah. In the it's just a whole woods. bunch of man shit. Yeah. Super fun, man. Each other, yeah. 
I mean, you couldn't ask for a better time as a kid. Yeah. Because you were free just to run. You could you couldn't really get in trouble. So you just you got a gun and a <laughs> and a hatchet and a knife and like your foot in steel. And you're going around to all these different areas, like setting, you know, not setting fires, but starting fires. My cousin Danny and I, who's six months younger, who um end up going off and, you know, getting his, his PhD later in life. But, you know, he and I would, were so competitive towards each other and we were always competing against each other and the tomahawk and knife throws and the fire starting. And, the I had this 32 caliber muzzle loader that is, it was my, one of my first rifles. I had a 22 Magnum lever action. That was my very first rifle that my dad got me. And then I had a black powder rifle that, uh, in all everything. So my grandfather made me a powder horn and my uncle had made me like, you know, straps and had like carved in like, you know, elk carvings and stuff into them. And, uh, that was just where we lived. And that was our, that was our life. Yeah. Right. Like around the, the woods and like we, I grew up there and that's how we recreated. That's, that's all I know as far as like recreation wise, that's, that's what I know as far as recreation. Yeah. Remember when we left, uh, Orofino, like there, it felt like there's a departure line. Like when, mm-hmm. when you get out of Orofino, it's like, no, you don't have any more cell coverage for a very long time. And then it's like, from, from that point on, you feel like you're in a mountain almost like, yeah, there's almost like this abrupt change in scenery where you're just going up and up and up. The trees are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And you, you really get this sense of like, I'm going to an old place, right? Like I'm going to a historic place and, and you get, as you travel through and you get deeper and deeper and deeper into the Idaho wilderness, you like, I couldn't wait to get out of the truck <laughs> yeah. and just get yeah. a line in the water, you yeah. know, and like that, having the, like that childhood anticipation again, you know, it's like, you don't you don't get that all the time. No. Mm-hmm. And it, it is something as simple as fishing. Like we're, we're grown men tying little flies online, yeah. you know? And I was, I was thinking about it because uh, Heather just went and did this noodling trip. You know, oh, she yeah. pulled out these huge catfish and I was like, here's my little cutty. But it's like, I don't care. Like the whole process of going through and like getting in the river. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we, we, you set foot in this thing. So it's like, you, you're, you feel so much a part of the place that you're in when you're up there. Like that trip really to me is like, a good definition of what I think free range American is, is like, it's not called office American. It's free range American. And this trip in particular is like, man, this is, that was gold for, for why we're doing all this stuff is to have experiences like that. Yeah, I agree. I think the, you know, to inspire uh, the American dream through hard work and adventure, right? So adventure is hard work. Yeah. You got to put in the work. You have to develop skill sets. You have to, you know, you have to plan. You have to coordinate and you have to execute, right? It's the same thing, but then you have to curate these skills over a, a lifetime. And I I think there's something to be said for that, which is I don't expect to be the best fly fisherman that's ever lived 
like next week, right? It's just right. not not going to work because it's something that I expect to be fly fishing up until the, the this this year, if not month that I die. I'm hoping that I'm able <laughs> yeah. to fly fish, right? But I'm also a fisherman, which is I take a spinning rod, I take a spinning rod, I take a fly rod. I'm there to catch fish, mm-hmm. right? and there's a lot of guys that they they like to eliminate an entire half of their their ability to yeah to, they're like i'm a you know i like to spin fish or you know i like to you know fly i only fish. drive a ford yeah or i only fly fish it's like what yeah why do we got to pick sides here yeah a lot of, a lot of places i've been you gotta you, you should be carrying both rods yeah right depending on yeah. the hatch depending on what you're gonna be after you you might want to because you're casting right if you can't back cast in a certain area you're not going to fly fish it you're just not going to fly fish it if you are it's going to be a roll cast and you're only going to get out so much line whereas if you have something you can cast across on a really short back cast shit you're in business right yeah and you and I both wanted to go to a river that we could eat what we caught or at least a couple of them have the opportunity to do that so you know, you got to load up and prepare your tools. And I, it, it looks a little bit ridiculous. I would imagine from a lot of people are like, man, this is like a huge investment. You guys are spending gas and fly rods and line, all this other stuff. I'm like, yeah, but it, it gives you something to do in the water. And it makes you think a little bit differently. Well, it, it does. And, I, I really don't think it's that big of an investment. Cause like I, I'm like the the bare bones guy. Like I, you know, I don't have a, a ton of gear when it comes no. to fly fishing. No, you didn't even have any waders. Yeah. I'm I'm out there. I don't have any waders. I'm yeah. using my binos case to hold all my flies. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I'm in shorts, I'm in old gym shoes. Uh, you know, and outside of that, you know, we stayed in a fifth wheel, but like right. everybody's got a tent. Yeah. My, my fly rod is a, you know, you can get the same rod at Walmart. Yeah. You know, it's not a $400 rod. No. And so it's, it's really not that difficult to repurpose some of your existing gear, play with it a little bit, see what you really need, you know, bear the cold a little bit. Yeah. And then start to figure out, like, I'm so glad I didn't just go to, to REI or Cabela's or Bass Pro and just, you know, spend the bank and, and get a bunch of gear for this trip. Cause I was like, I, I want to test what I have first and then like go back and develop it. And, you know, so you're rocking waders, you've got the, the nice, the nice chest rig fly case. So it really doesn't take that much. You know, you, you can get out there for a couple hundred bucks, really. You can get out there for a couple hundred bucks and for the longest time, I only used a tarp. I, I would just yeah set up a tarp, and you know I fished that river a lot on a fly rod that I built when I was like twelve or thirteen. I built my first fly rod when I was like whatever age it was as a as a four piece like Gen two graphite. It's called an Elkhorn. I remember that <laughs> the the company, and I built the rod. You know, so uh, you it's it's really not hard. It just takes a, you could probably do it with a YouTube video and a, and a kit and for less than 50 bucks. Right. And, uh, and when I first started going out there by myself, you know, I had this beat up 
piece of shit Jeep Cherokee and an old blue tarp and, you know, a thermarest that I would throw in the back of yeah. it on and then fish with a rod that I built because I didn't have any money in high school or college. It's not like I could afford anything. Uh, and I had the same time, right? I have the same memories, the same fond yeah, memories. Yeah. I don't think back of those times and go, man, if I would have only had, you know, that sweet $500 tent, it would have made yeah. my memory so much better. Right. No, I remember getting soaked to the fucking bone trying to figure out how to, you know, make a fire and not, not packing right. And like, that's all part of the process. Like that's all part of the process. Getting your reps in and just eliminating the excuses for yourself not to do it. Like, what are the excuses? You don't really have a lot of excuses. If you have the time and a, a little bit, when I say even a little bit, we're talking about fishing line, on a Nalgene bottle with lures the other day, yeah, how yeah. you can make an impromptu rod out of that, out of out of nothing, basically go out and catch fish and have a good time. And I guarantee if you have kids, they're not going to know the difference either way. Like, a, shit, I didn't yeah. know that we were... And who cares? Like when we were down in Guatemala touring coffee farms, we saw a guy out in a little shiesty kayak doing the same thing. Same shit. Yeah. It's so much easier to to not have to transport a rod when you're, you know, in some remote or you don't got the money or, or whatever it is. You just, you, all you need is some line and a bottle. I've seen people do it on 20 ounce pop bottles before too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think people get so fixated on the gear and that's good in the sense of marketing is doing their job for a lot of these companies because they've convinced people that they're going to have a better time if they have like better gear. Yes and no. Right. And there's, there's like, there's a scene that says there's no bad weather, just bad gear. And that is true. Right. When I've been on sections of the river and the mountains, especially the, the, the middle fork of the salmon when it's really, really cold and you don't have a dry suit and you're getting dunked a few times, like yeah. your, your life gets really fucking miserable yep. really fast. And you're just jackhammering all day long. You're miserable. Right. And then came out of that trip, made the investment in a dry suit, came right back out, same weather, maybe worse. And I'm happy as shit. Yeah. Just snug as a bug, right. happy as shit, could care less, but great. It could start snowing right now. And I really wouldn't care. Mm-hmm. Right. So there is that element or that component to saying there's, you know, no bad weather, just bad gear and good gear will make your great experience even better depending, right? Yeah. But we didn't encounter weather out there where our gear would have made a make or break circumstance in our in our experience. There's just, we wouldn't have needed, you know, super expensive Gore-Tex. I could have been waiting in my shorts just like you. And I would have had the same time, right? I just would have been a little bit colder. Mm-hmm. And you might even look back on that differently and say, wow, that was cool. That was fun. You know, because I've done that a lot where gone out, not had waiters, you know, not had the gear for whatever reason. Last time I was out there, I did it. Um, and I, I ended up spending the majority of my time 
with you know my wife just kind of like flipping rocks and looking at bugs and because the fishing was off it wasn't really yeah we weren't catching shit so i was playing in the river you know people are probably listen to that and say what what the fuck you're playing in the river yeah man i just like <laughs> go and check stuff out like go and like you know jump in and float down a little little fluffy section of rapids you know flip over rocks and check out bugs and you know go for a run up the trail and like just just kind of be a kid again yeah and i didn't hardly fish the last time i was up there and i still had an epic time like you said it's more about being out there being in the river, being involved in this, then catching huge fish. I don't. Rem- I remember only a couple of circumstances where I'm like, I caught this huge fish, and I remember the fish, but I don't remember that making or breaking the experience that I had out there. Yeah. So, you know, obviously you've been fly fishing for you know a majority of your life. I yeah. Think. I think I I initially started picking it up uh, in my later teenage years, but you know, growing up in Michigan, most of my fishing experience was bass, walleye, right. ice fishing, uh, a little bit of fly fishing uh, in the northern part of Michigan. You know, during the the steelhead season, but learning and mastering fly fishing is a, a really interesting discipline. I will kind of compare it to archery in a sense because of the fact that uh, you have to have a good understanding about what you're doing with your body and what, right. how your body is uh, communicating through to, to the activity that you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And so how long did it take you in that progression before you were like, ah, you know, I feel like I got a, a decent mastery of uh, the, ten- the technique involved with fly mm-hmm. fishing? I don't, I don't necessarily even think that I, I feel that way now. You know, when we were out there, I was trying to work on a double hole, which is a double hole cast is, it's a different type of cast. It allows you to put out a little bit more line and I was trying to work on it and I, I've worked on it in the past and I've had it and kind of lost it and it's a timing thing. It's like a timing and weight issue. Yeah. And, uh, and the other piece to that is, you know, just casting line is just one aspect of fly fishing, yeah. right? It's just being able to get the line out there is one piece, but it's how you land your line on the water, right? How you're landing the fly, you know, how much, what what type of setup are you running? You know, are you running a dry fire? Are you running a nymph? Are you running, you know, hopper dropper? Like what kind of scenario, what kind of flies are you running? Um, you know, so can you get the line out there is one piece. Then can you land the fly where you want to land it is another piece. Yep. Then can you get the line out there, land your fly where you want to land it and in the way you want the the fly to present itself. So it's, you know, landing the line before. So it lays on the water and then it kind of just drops that fly, just kind of like gently drops yep. that fly, presents it just really delicately on top of the water versus like slapping it. And, um, I, I messed that up on a regular out there like on the last trip. It's tricky. It's a tricky time. You gotta be delicate. Like it's a very delicate activity. 
And I remember uh, I developed a little hack for that because I'm still not that good at it. When we were on the raft of the last rafting trip is if you've got it, you can just throw it up against a rock, let it hit the rock, Ooh, yeah. drop in okay. nice and soft. Yeah, okay. Nice and soft. Right. Had a, had a decent amount of success that way. Yeah, a little pillow landing for yeah, a little, it, if you will. A little bank shot. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. yeah. We've done the bank shot. You know, I I think the game that I like to play the most is how do I land the fly? And if I can if I can land the fly exactly where I want to land it and the way that I want to land it. So I'm less concerned now with the line. I'm more concerned now with how is the fly being presented to the fish. And this is probably boring as shit for most most people because they're probably like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? (laughs) But, you know, I, I like the fact that this is just a, it's a very unique skill that requires a lifetime of learning in order to be, you know, you, you can continue to develop this skill forever and it's just, you, you can never really be a master. I suppose, you know, there are plenty of guys that would say that they're masters, but by the time that you look start looking at not only the casting of of fly fishing, the types of flies that you utilize and the types of water, because then you go into different types of water, uh, different types of hatches. Uh, how is it being presented? I, I learned something not too long ago, and I was utilizing it up there, which is fish really like to be in current based water because their bodies get more fatigued if they have less current. And so there's this idea that fish just kind of loiter in like the chill water. And that's not, that's not true. Yeah. (laughs) A certain type of fish does, but not the fish that I was hunting. Right. Not the, not the one that I wanted. Which we found success on right out of the gate. Yeah. Cause you know, you've got the, and a lot of the water was high, you know, on the way up there, we're going through, you know, class five stuff. We're like, wow. Yeah. Wow. And the river we were on wasn't wasn't that intense, mm-hmm. but you know there there are still parts where it's kicking pretty good. And getting that little that space between you know not still water but distiller water and not the the rushing rapids, but there's like that little zone, little seam, yeah. that little seam right yep. in between. And had you know I think one of your one of your first casts was successful as soon as we we got in that first day. I know. It was wild. I was like, wow, okay, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna do this now. Okay. Yeah. Very rarely does it happen like that, right? You're gonna spend some time and shoot, we had that first night we we started hooking into fish really early. And right off the bat, like it was just I think my second or third fish in was a, probably a 16 18 inch cutthroat, big, beautiful cutthroat, like, you know, big red gills and it was green and it was just so colorful and so cool. Um, and that's so much fun when you, when you hook into that fish, you're like, oh man, because you know, it's an older fish yeah, and it's just incredibly beautiful. Um, and that's one of the things I, I really just, I, I, I love pulling up these fish, taking a look at them looking at their colors, seeing, you know, just, just being able to pull something out of the water that you can't see. Most of the time you can't see them, especially in the current. 
and saying, wow, this thing's just fucking hanging out in there. Like this, yeah. this thing's, yeah. this thing's just hanging out in this river. <laughs> and I just pulled it out, took a look at it, snapped a photo, and then, you know, obviously punched it loose. But, you know, we, we also had the opportunity to eat some while we were up there too. And how good was that? Oh, it did it super simple too. We had, yeah. we had three cutthroats. Yep. What'd you do? You just did salt, pepper, didn't de-skin. Yeah, we had we had uh, rainbows. I think those are rainbows. And um, when I say I think those are rainbow trout. And um, we, I just gutted them, and salt and pepper, butter in the pan, and that's it. Like that is it. Yep. Cast iron, Amazing. classic. Yeah, cast iron on the fire. It just it's so good for a fresh trout. Some of the best trout I've had is I'll go up and I'll catch them and I'll just gut them right there and I'm throwing them straight into the pan. Mm -hmm. Like they, they aren't, they aren't five minutes out of that water before they're in a pan and they're being eaten. And I've done it in my titanium cook set. I cooked this fish a couple (laughs) years ago where it's like this giant titanium cup. And I'm like, rotating this fish around by its tail with an, and, a, and a pair of pliers <laughs> trying to get it all cooked up. And uh, that was a few years ago with my wife. My wife was like, man, you really want to eat that fish. I was like, it's it's amazing. I remember my grandpa used to eat these things all the time and he would be cooking them up. And one of the things he used to, to do was he used to drink ham's beer. Oh yeah. That shit? oh yeah. Oh yeah. Very ham's familiar beer. with ham's. But he used to put salt in his beer. And it's one of those things I always remember when I'm fly fishing or fishing and I'm cooking fish is my grandpa used to put salt in his ham's beer and drink, you know, a beer and have a fresh, like fresh cooked trout. He used to bread them. I don't bread them, but I I, I just like eating the skin the way that it comes off like really crispy and crunchy. It's it's incredible. So good. So good. One of the things that I really have started to fall in love with in Idaho specifically is just breeding the water. Right. You know, from a perspective of we've, you know, pouring a raft or driving a jet boat or reading a river from a, from a fishing perspective, like it is so much fun to me to like start studying water flow. Yeah. And like, develop this this skill set to where not only navigate it but be able to do that in multiple different vehicles right and then also you know just within that develop this keen sense about where the fish are yeah it's interesting one of the best things that i did early on in my teens was i started whitewater kayaking back in the day and what I really liked about whitewater kayaking is I was closer to the water. And when you're closer to the water, you start paying way more attention to all the individual aspects of it. Mm-hmm. So your eddy lines, your rapids, the types of rapids, and um, versus in a jet boat, you can just kind of plow through a lot, right? You can you still have to read the water because yeah. you can't get into too, too shallow of water because you don't want to, you know hit a rock, you, you, you're looking for rocks. And in a kayak, yeah, you're looking for rocks, 
but you're also looking to rocks because you, you want to play in and around them, right? You want to catch a surf wave or, you know, you're looking for your right lines to not just get fucking pummeled depending on where it is. Um, but every modality, I think possible to go up or down rivers, I've, I've just about done them all. And, um, kayaking is probably one of my favorite things to just get really close, really intimate with the water. Um, you know, running jet boats is super, super fun. You know, it's, it's a power. It's, it's just about, you know, power and finesse, right? Uh, rafts are really cool and I like rafts for like long haul adventures. Um, but they're pretty forgiving, you know, you can kind of bump them off rocks and, you know, they're big and, you know, they're, they're fun, but they're less intimate because you're higher off the water. Your lines don't have to be as tight, uh, versus in a kayak, you're in the water all day long. Like you're immersed in it. You're wet, you're, you're rolling and you're just completely involved in the river all day long. And Kayaking is one of those things that's such an adrenaline-based sport, depending on the river that you're in, that you never really get bored either. (laughs) You're never going down going, man, this is boring, (laughs) right? Unless you're in a boring section of the river, and then you're just, you know, plowing through it. Um, Drift boats are, you know, those are super fun because, you know, you can cut through the water really well. You know, they kind of, you're rowing a lot like a, a raft, but you can drive them a little bit better, um, easier, I should say. And, you know, if you're in like a ducky or something like that, then you kind of have the best of both worlds because then, you know, you're not in yeah. a hard boat that can roll and a bunch of other yeah. things. Or inflatable kayak. And yeah, that's what I meant. The, uh, what's the, uh, what's that other inflatable kayak that we have? The, oh, the alpaca. The alpaca. Yeah, yeah. That's a lightweight kind of expedition yeah. style yeah. alpaca. And that thing's just cool, man. Like, you know, it weighs eight pounds. You can throw it in a backpack. Uh, you can get down a river in it. You can, you can really fucking drive that boat. You can. I've, I've, I put it on some big water. I mean, I ran it, oh, several days in the middle fork, you know, and the guys on the middle fork have run those in big water, like June water. Yeah. Um, surprisingly stable. So those were the things where I was like, a lightweight boat. And there's a few companies that that make them out there. They're super expensive depending because they're really lightweight, but I've seen guys load up like they're, yeah. you know, deer there's, and Yeah. There's, if moose. you know what you're doing in a kayak, they can be incredible stable. The first yeah. time that I got in one of those on the middle fork, I, I think I was swimming, you know, the first three in, times yeah. that, I, that I hit a hole. Uh, but after you get, the the buoyancy of it right. and the balance to it, like, and you figure out that you need to, for lack of a but, you need to attack. Yeah, you need to attack. Right, you got to get in there and get aggressive with it, and that, and that's really how you push through a lot of these rapids. Yeah, you can punch through a lot of shit just by being really aggressive, uh, and you can also take the other route, just being, you know, not passive, but being, you know. A, a, aggressive in the sense of just making sure that you understand how to read the water and where the boat's going to go and how the back and the front is going to react with one another. Um, you know, I, I've, I've done a few trips, uh, actually up there, um, where you load up your shit inside. So you got your, 
four piece rod and a bunch of other stuff mm-hmm. in there. And, you know, self-supported kayaking trips where you can get out and kayak. I, I'm less inclined in those because you, it's, it's hard to get out and start fishing. Yeah. I think the next trip that we do, uh, will be a really adventurous, really adventurous section of river. And, but we got to get our shit in one sock in order to get that one done because it's, it's out there. It's out there a ways. Yep. Well, again. Yeah. We're, we're at an hour already. Uh, We are. This, this sounds more like an NPR podcast. We're just talking about fly fishing. <laughs> well, we're trying to like figure out the best time to do these FRAs, and it's yeah, it's early afternoon right now, and Evan's usually pretty spicy in the morning. So we try we try and get him early. The five o'clock ones never seem to go very well. Oh, you know, I I'm I'm not that even I'm not even worn down. I don't think it's not that at all. I think after I've had my first couple cups of coffee, ooh, man, I am I am on fire. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. on fire. But live fishing calms me down too. So I think that's just having it playing in the background like that. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. You just feel relaxed. You, you feel, feel a little good. relaxed. You can hear the water in your head. Yeah, you can. You know? Yeah. I think it's just kind of zen me out oh. a little bit. Well, yeah, it has a, just like, how much, how well do you sleep next me? to the river? Oh, I sleep incredibly oh, I'm well. a little baby on yeah. the riverbank. Just well, yeah. and, and especially so when you're all snuggled up, like yeah. that's... It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Probably my favorite piece of kit that we picked up was that, that two person sleeping bag. Yeah. That, that, that is a great investment because you don't really ever get cold. Handy. You just no. don't get cold. You don't. I, I, I like the fact and cherish the fact that you're, you're a naked sleeper. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. That's yeah. Nice. Well, that's how you, you know, it helps you stay warm. <laughs> All right. Free range American fly fishing. Thanks a lot, guys. 